our mission and why we exist as a church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. Um, today, we're going to be all over the place. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of different texts I want to share with you this morning, and I'm calling this sermon for mothers. Seeing how today is Mother's Day, I thought it would be appropriate to pause from our usual sermon series to see what the Bible says about mothers. And so, with that being said, would all the mothers in the room please stand so we can be, you can be recognized this morning? Please stand. Thank, thank you for all that you do and all that you've done for, for your family and also for this church, myself, for those of you. But if you come to church on Mother's Day, it is pretty much guaranteed that if the pastor is in the middle of a sermon series, that sermon series is going to put, be put on pause and we're going to have a very specific sermon directly uh, for the mothers that are with us. And that's exactly what I plan to do today. In fact, if you're with us, that's exactly what I did last year. Last year, we were out east of town. We were having to have drive-in church because of COVID. And I preached a, a message on Proverbs 31. And I called that sermon, I titled it, The Ideal Wife. Well, Solomon, he wrote that proverb. And he was said to be the wisest man in the world. And he wrote Proverbs 31 to, to line out what the ideal wife looked like. Now, when some women read Proverbs 31, it's easy to get a little bit frustrated because Proverbs 31 paints a picture of a, of a woman that's really nearly unattainable, okay? But I think that's exactly what Solomon's point was, that Proverbs 31 is the perfect woman, the, the perfect wife, if you will. It's not that she really did exist, that's just the, the goal that, that women should aspire to. I think it's kind of like the old saying, shoot for the stars and you'll hit the moon. Well, that's what I think Solomon was, was saying when he wrote Proverbs 31, well, there are some theologians that suggest that Proverbs 31 was a real woman. That the real woman that Proverbs is writing about, excuse me, the, Sol the Solomon is writing about, he was writing about his own mama. Now, every little boy growing up, when they're young, they think their mom is absolutely perfect. Until about the age of 12, and then it all changed, and all the moms said, oh, three of you, thanks a lot. <laughs> At least that's how it goes in our house. But anyways... Um, that all fades away when boys reach a certain age. Well, if you know Solomon's mom, she was far from perfect. She had an adulterous affair with King David, and if she was complicit in that act, I'll leave that for you to decide. But the truth is she wasn't perfect. But then again, maybe she was in the eyes of her son. So to Solomon, he did have the perfect mom. Well, when a preacher preaches a message, kind of like the one I did last year, there's some women... They put on a happy face, but inside they really, they feel like they want to die. Because they hear a, mother on, a message on Mother's Day, and they have a great smile on the outside, but on the inside, they just want to leave the church building, jump in their cars, and drive away as fast as they can, and just have an ugly cry. And I know that's the truth every single Mother's Day for certain moms in the room, but yet I still have to preach a message, so here we go. So I decided this, month, this year I wanted to change it up a little bit. I wanted to preach a message specifically for, for those mothers. When I was called to be a, a preacher, I decided very early, I wanted to preach on some of the harder subject. Some of the subjects that most pastors just kind of skirt around, we're not going to talk about the, those issues. I enjoy talking about those, those issues. And I, I, I love talking about it because I think 
I really, I, mean, I don't think, I know I love listening to, to the other pastors that, that preach like that. That preach the sermons that kind of step on your toes, if you will. And since that's what I like listening to, I find myself preaching that way very often. Um, well, I, one of my favorite preachers, a pastor named Johnny Hunt. I love listening to that guy. He's, he's not a, a lead pastor. He's doing other things now. But one, of my, one sermon I was listening to him once, he would wear a headphone like I have. And he'd get a little angry in the middle of service. And you could hear him breathe on the microphone like... <sighs> and he's getting angry. And he said this once. He said, I'm just a shepherd trying to feed a, some sheep food to a bunch of old goats. And I went, whoa, Mike, you said that in church. Well, that's what I enjoy listening to. And so that's kind of how I, I find myself preaching sometimes. I'm not saying that. He said that. I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> so this message this morning, it's not exactly for everyone. This message today is for the mothers that come to church every Mother's Day and their hair is done nice and they have their favorite dress on, but maybe they forgot to put their mascara on. They they forgot to put on their mascara because they know at some point in the message they're going to cry. Can we recognize that Mother's Day is not exactly a magical day for every single mother in the congregation? That there's some ladies that, that Mother's Day it comes with a little heartache. Well, really a lot of heartache. And for a number of different reasons. So ladies, today, if that's you, this message is for you. For the, for the moms that Mother's Day includes some tears. In another way, this message is for, for, for everyone. Because I think that through this, this message, these, these, these texts that I picked out today for us to, to kind of comb through, I think we, could, we all of us know some lady that's maybe in the shoes of some of the mothers that we're going to talk about today. That for women, for one reason or another, they're hurting. And so if we can grasp some of the takeaway points, maybe we as, as Christians will be better equipped to help women Others that we have in our lives and encourage them that are, that are hurting. That through the word of God that we will be better equipped to help somebody that's maybe struggling for a number of different reasons. So here's the first lady I want to look at this morning. Lesson number one. Women that can't have children can still be mothers. You know, on Mother's Day every year, the pastor would ask the, the mothers in the crowd to stand so we can applaud you just exactly like I did just a minute ago. And I know that there are some ladies, they don't stand. They don't stand and they put on a happy face and they smile because they can't have children. They can't biologically have children for one reason or another. And these ladies, they sit in their chair and they smile and they applaud the other ladies that are standing. But on the inside, they just want to die. Because they want children. But for a number of different reasons, they can't have children. And there's so many different reasons why maybe a lady may not be able to have children or having difficulties conceiving children. And those reasons really can be emotionally killing women on the inside. It hurts so bad because they want children. And there are some women, wrongly, that feel less of a woman because they can't conceive a child. And there's women that have these health reasons. as It's really given them a difficult time conceiving a child. And there's some women that have been told by the doctor, their doctors that the possibility of them ever conceiving a child is 0%. And that is heart-wrenching for ladies that are in that, that, that predicament. So we need to recognize that there are women like this in our congregation that are, they have emotional pain. And their emotional pain is very real. 
Okay? And if we don't acknowledge these ladies, we're doing a disservice to them by not recognizing what they're going through and at least pause and acknowledge that what they're struggling with is very real. You know, when you span the entire breadth of the, of the Bible and the pages of our Bibles, there are so many women that are exactly in this predicament that we're talking about here today that are experiencing the pain of infertility. There's a woman like Sarai. She's in the book of Genesis. She... She's the one who, her name is eventually ch- uh, changed to Sarah. She couldn't conceive a child with her, with her husband, Abraham. And in desperation to have a child running in their house, she took, took matters into her own hand. And she sent her servant to, to con- into her husband to conceive a child for her. And that decision had devastating consequences that we are still reaping to this day. I mean, think about it. She wanted a child so bad that she had another husband or woman go in with her husband so they could have a child in their house. You know, but eventually she did have a child. Okay, she had a child at an age where most women, their, their, their grandmothers or even great-grandmothers by the time Sarah had a child. And, and in fact, when she was so old that when she heard the Lord say that Sarah was going to conceive a child, she laughed out loud. She literally lolled. We type it all the time. She literally did it. And Sarah had a child. And God blessed her with a son when she was very, very old. And there are so many stories in the Bible that are, that are exactly like Sarah's. There's, there's ladies like Rachel and Ruth and Elizabeth. You know, an interesting Bible study would to look at all the miracle births in the, in the Bible, of these women that have difficulties getting pregnant. But there's another one I want to mention to you. There's a gal named Hannah. And her story is in the book of 1 Samuel. She was a lady, she wanted a child so bad, and she wanted a child, and, and eventually her husband took another wife because Hannah couldn't give her a child. And then that, that second woman, she started to give Hannah grief because she wasn't able to get pregnant. I mean, talk about hurt. Talk about pain. What, what Hannah had to go through, I can't even imagine. I, I, don't, I can't really identify with that level of hurt. But then Hannah... She showed incredible restraint with her words, and she knew what the right thing was to say. She also knew when to say nothing. And Hannah was ridiculed for years because of her infertility. And yet, instead of responding to her critic, if you will, she decided to keep her mouth shut and say nothing. Until one day she couldn't take it anymore, and she took it to the one who could help her with her problem. Found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. The word of God says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but you will give to your servant a son, I will give to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued to pray before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her as being a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put, away, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I'm a woman that's troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk, neither wine, nor strong drink. But I have poured out my heart, my soul, excuse me, I poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for... All along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. The Eli answered, go in peace, and God, the God of Israel will grant a petition to you, and you have made to him. 
Hannah was a woman, she prayed so hard that the priest thought she was drunk. And eventually, though, in, in God's timing, God blessed Hannah with the child that she prayed for, it was son. And remember, Hannah prayed for years. How many women I mentioned earlier that, that probably are praying in the same situation that Hannah was at? You see, what I want us to know is that sometimes God takes our pain and he uses it, and he uses that pain to point us in a different direction that we would never even consider of going in on our own. But eventually God gave Hannah a child. But then the question should be, what about those women where the physicians said there is a 0% chance of them ever becoming pregnant? What about women that it's an impossibility for them to conceive? What about them? Well, I want to raise the question, you know, is it possible that maybe God has other plans for women to become mothers other than their traditional means of conceiving child, biologically speaking? I want to share with you two verses, and these two verses are both found in the book of James, and they're amazing verses, but very rarely are they put together and thought of in the same breath. Read with me, James chapter 1, verse 17 and then 27. James says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans. The word visit in verse 27, it means so much more than just to hang out with and spend time. That word in the Greek is episkidome. That's what that word is. It means to to intensely care for. You know, in the sovereignty of God, He knows that there's going to be children without mothers. And He also knows there's going to be mothers without children. And yet He allows for the possibility of adoption. So I'm saying all this to maybe that you're a gal that's unable to have child, biologically speaking. It could be because God has other plans. Maybe those plans are so much bigger and so much grander than how most women get to become mothers. Maybe your heavenly father might have a child that he wants you to become a mother of that's going to come into your life other than through natural childbirth. There are so many children that they're their biological families have rejected, and God's plan is for, for some women to be coming to that, those children's world and to be even a better mother than what they would have had any other way. My wife and I, we have, we have a friend, and she wasn't able to have children, biologically speaking, and she was wrecked because she couldn't get pregnant. And so her and her husband, they, they went the route of adoption, but then she wrongfully felt that she was somehow less of a woman because she couldn't get get pregnant. She wasn't able to birth a child. She thought she was missing out on some part of being a a mother because she wasn't able to deliver a child. I said, yeah, miss out on back pain, miss out on water retention, miss out on stretch marks, miss out on some other, all kinds of things that go on in in a delivery room, and I'll leave that for you to, to maybe ask the moms in the room about that I've failed to mention. Ask them, hey, what else goes on in the delivery room that Pastor John missed? Talk about that over lunch. But anyways, I had to remind our friend that you know, she loves her adopted child with all the fervency and love that any biological mother loves her biological child. And then that child loves its mother, her just like any child loves their, their mom. You see, in God's perfect timing, he, he blessed her with the, the gift of motherhood through the foster care system. And so that being said, she is just as much, if maybe if not more than some mothers are on this earth. 
And she got to miss out on everything that happens in the delivery room. And so if this is the situation you find yourself in on Mother's Day, just know that there's a Heavenly Father with whom there's no variation or shadows due to change, and He just might be looking to give you a good and perfect gift that might not be the traditional route. Here's our second lesson for us this morning. Lesson number two, women that have wayward children are still wonderful mothers. You know, Mother's Day by design is designed to cause us to remember and think of our children. And I want to say for Christian moms, Christian moms, the thought of their child that's not following Christ is something that really caused Mother's Day to be filled with a lot of heartache. In Luke chapter 15, it's, we, re, we would read one of Jesus' most famous parables. The one I'm, th- I'm referring to is the parable of the prodigal son. Well, every parable is a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. So these parables didn't necessarily happen, but Jesus uses these stories, if you will, to drive on one very specific point. Well, in the parable of the prodigal son, there are three main characters. There is the father, and he represents our father God, and then there's the, the younger son, he represents Gentiles, you know, non-Jewish people, and then there's the elder son, and he represents the Jewish people. Well, if you know the story, well, you know that there's the younger son, he wanted his inheritance while his dad was still alive. By saying this, what the son was saying, hey dad, I'd rather have your money than I'd have, want to have you. He's saying, hey dad, I want your money and I want you dead. That's what the son is saying. I mean, that'd be pretty hard on any dad, wouldn't it? For your son to say, I want your money, but I want you dead. Well, eventually the father gives in, and he gives the younger son his inheritance, and the son runs off to the far country, and he blows all of his money on on wild party and even wilder women. But eventually the money ran out. And then his friends left him, and then he had to get a job. And this boy, he got a job slopping hogs. Well, I'm sure as Jesus is telling this story, any, all the Jewish ears that heard this, they probably winced. Like, Ooh, pigs? Because that is the lowest of the low for any, any Jew that was maybe heard that. And so there's something happened. The boy in, in verse 17 of Luke chapter 15 says, but when he came to himself, he snapped too. He, he realized that his servants, his dad's servants back home, they had it better than, than he had. And so he, he makes his up his mind. He's going to go back to his dad. And he's going to give him his I'm sorry speech. He's, I'm so sorry, dad. Let me become one of your slaves. And so he makes a beeline for dad's house. He's making his, the beeline to dad's house. And he's practicing his, his I'm sorry speech. And the, my favorite verse in the entire story, found in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, that Jesus says this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know what that means? That means his dad was watching for him. His dad was watching every day. The dad would get up and he would look for his son to return. He'd be looking to the far off country. When's his boy going to come home? Eventually the dad saw him coming. And the text says he ran to him. It was undignified for a Jewish man to run in, this, in, this, in that, that culture. But this dad didn't care. He ran to his son. His son started to give him his, I'm sorry, dad, speech. But his dad didn't even let him get a word out. Just grabbed him and embraced him and kissed him. Eventually he threw a party. He said, bring the fatted calf. We're throwing a big party. And, and so they're, they're having the big party. And then the elder son, if you know the story, 
He comes in from the field and he hears what's going on. He asks one of the servants, hey, what, what's with all this, the noise? And the servant told him, hey, your brother's back and your dad's throwing him a party that he's returned. And the older son, he wouldn't go to the party and he throws a temper tantrum. He goes has a big pity party outside, won't go in because his, his brothers came back. And this is the point of the whole parable that God the Father, played by the part of the, the, the dad, he wants the Gentiles to come to faith in him. That's the part played by the younger son. And the elder son represents the Jewish people. They're so upset that there's these Gentile believers that have come to faith and they've been with God the whole time. That's the point of the whole story. And again, parables are just parables. They don't necessarily ha- have happened. They're, they don't necessarily happen in real life. But let me just throw, pose this question to you. What if this one did? Hypothetically speaking, what if this one did really happen? Well, let me suggest to you, if this story was real, there might have been a mother that was just as hurting as the father who's torn apart that here's her son that's ran off and is living a life that, that, that's undignified. You see, there isn't a Christian mom on the planet that's not at the very minimum just a little bit embarrassed if her son's not living the Christian life. You see, there's some things that women sometimes wrongfully think that makes them be a woman, like being able to birth a child that we talked about earlier, but also sometimes there's Christian moms that think they have to have their children living the Christian life or somehow they failed at being a mom. Well, let me tell you, Christians, Christians still have free will. They, we even have free will after coming to, to Christ. And we still have free will, which means we have the free will to use it wrongfully. Or it's not free will in the first place. Here's what I'll say. All you can do is all you can do. That's all you can do. Your identity is, in, in being a Christian mom is not tied, is not based off your own grown adult choices, your children's choices. I once heard Dr. James Dobson, he said something, and this probably changed my view in parenting more than anything else I've ever heard. I'm going to share it with you here. James Dobson once said this, he says, never judge the inside of your kids based off the outside of someone else's. Let me say that again. It's so profound for me. He says, never judge the inside of your kids based off of the outside of somebody else's. Because here's the deal, parents. We know our kids' hearts. We see them, and we're so quick to judge them based off of what we see in someone else's kids. But we don't know the, those kids' hearts. You know, maybe, you know, but they look so good on the outside. Maybe, you know, behind closed doors, it's a very different scene in their home when no one's watching. Back to the parable of the prodigal son. We don't know how long that son was gone. How far exactly did he go? We don't know. But if this story was true, I bet this would have been a mom that watched her husband go into the field and just watch for the son to come day after day after day. And I bet this was a mom that spent hours on her knees praying for, for her son to come back. When I was an associate pastor in California, my pastor, he told this story all the time about his childhood. And growing up in rural Oklahoma, he, he, he said he grew up in a, in a farmhouse, you know, raising wheat. And so this, this drafty old farmhouse. But in his teenage years, he said he was far from Christ. And he said late one night, he heard some noise coming through the, the heating ducts in this old farmhouse. And he bent down, he put his ear to the, to the duct, and he could hear praying. And he said he, he knew it was his parents. His parents are praying. He just he pictured them on their knees and their hand in hand. He could hear the voice of his dad. He could hear the voice of his mom 
praying for him to come to Christ. And he said he didn't get saved that night, but eventually he did. And that night stuck with him for years, the sound of his parents, his mom, praying for him. And eventually he came to himself. Well, in the parable of the prodigal son, this son came to himself. He realized how much better he had it at his dad's house, and in this case, mom's house too, hypothetically speaking. And I don't know, but just picture, if this story was true, I bet there's someone else at the party. Someone else that's not even mentioned in the pages of our Bible if this story was true, and that would be the mom, who would have been just as thrilled or more thrilled than anybody else that her son had come home. And I'm saying this to encourage you moms, that maybe you have a prodigal son. Don't stop praying Don't stop praying for your son or your daughter because it's a powerful thing to have a praying mom. To have a mama in your life that won't stop praying. You know, there's an old proverb where if this is where you find yourself in, I bet you worn a path to in the pages of your Bible. And that is Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We need to know that a proverb is not a 100% guarantee. They're true most of the time. Okay, They're generally true. Well, that means if we continue to point our kids to Jesus, the result will be, as we read in this proverb, is generally true. That if we raise our children the best we can, teach them God's words and showing them what it looks like to to have God in your life and put put God before everything, though they may stray... Usually they'll return. But here's something we need to remember. It might not happen in your lifetime. That child might come back to to Christ after long after you're gone. And if that happens, something amazing is going to happen at the end of your life. We're going to talk about that at the end of this message. Here's the third lesson this morning. Lesson number three. Women that have had abortions are still mothers. Now, I'm calling this sermon Four Mothers, so this is obviously the third, with one, word, one more to go. I really struggled when, when writing this message, you know, what order do I put these moms in? You know, what, there's these different moms that I wanted to address that are having emotional difficulties on Mother's Day. What order do I talk about? Well, I don't say any woman that's made the choice to go through an abortion is probably struggling in a very real, very deep, very private way each and every Mother's Day that rolled around every year. I have to imagine there's a lot of questions for, for these women. I mean, what might life look like if a different choice was made? So this message today, it's not a message of condemnation. This is a message of hope. I know there are some women, there's some, there might be not women, just people that, that might think the taking of life in the mother's womb might be a sin that God can't forgive. Because after all, there's, there's a baby, and that baby was made in the image of God, and for one reason or number, that, that baby's no more. Well, I want to share with you a text that I think is appropriate in this situation. Jesus addresses this, found in Matthew 12, verse 31. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks the words against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. I draw this attention, this, this verse to you because Jesus says there's one sin that will not be forgiven. 
And nowhere in this very, very short list of sins do I see abortion listed. Jesus said every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. Well, is the taking of life in a mother's womb, is that sin? Yes. Exodus 20, verse 30 says, you shall not murder. So that, that's very clearly sin. But Jesus says there's only one sin that will not be forgiven, and that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, the question should be, well, what's that? You know, I've done some bad things in my life. I've definitely said some horrible things. I want to make sure that one I'm not guilty of. Well, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the intentional opposition to truth because the Spirit is truth. That's what 1 John tells us. Constantly rejecting the calling of the Holy Spirit to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the blasphemy that, that Christ spoke of. See, here's the thing. We're all sinners. Every single one of us. I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. We've done the things we shouldn't do. And we failed to do the things we should done. And that, that's just what we've done. Think about our thought life. What if God was to judge us off the things we think of? We're all separated from Him. And what we all deserve for our sin is eternal separation from Him in hell. But that's not what the Father wants. So God the Father sent God the Son on this rescue mission to come to earth and to pay the price for what you and I have done. The scourging that Jesus took, it should be me, it should be you. When Jesus hung on that cross and was tortured for six hours, that should be me, it should be you. And the Bible says that Jesus gave His Spirit. Meaning nobody took it from Him. He gave it up. Why? Because I'm a sinner. And because you're a sinner. So this is what's going on in our lives. The third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is pushing us, is encourages us, go to the Son. Go to the Son. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. He's convicting us of sin. He's revealing the Savior. God the Holy Spirit wants us to place saving faith in God the Son, and we only have this life to do it. And if we die not knowing Jesus Christ, then we are guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this is the only unforgivable sin. But if we call on Him, He will forgive us. Even if the sin of abortion. I was going through different, looking for a testimony, or looking for a life story, if you will. And I came across this one, and I want to share it with you. There is a gal, she calls herself Sarah May. And she gives her testimony. And it was really long, I had to condense it a little bit. But if you would, let me read it to you. This is her story. She says... The three months I was pregnant when I was 16 was probably the three hardest months of my life. I felt very alone, and I was being torn in directions that I wasn't prepared for. Everyone had a solution to my problem, but but no one wanted to hear mine. I wanted to keep the baby. I figured I could get married and start a family. After talking with others and them telling me how I'd miss such opportunity things as if I had the baby... I thought it would be better if I gave the baby up to someone who couldn't have children. Nope. People didn't like that idea either. During this time, my mom totally checked out of the situation. She almost became numb to the whole thing. She had her own demons to deal with. She couldn't handle mine. My dad was a wonderful man, had, had decided that abortion was probably the better choice. I don't think he believed that. He had pressure of his own. Did I mention my grandmother? who I thought was my best friend, stopped talking to me during this time. She wouldn't even look at me. The final straw was when my other grandmother came to visit. She convinced me that having an abortion really would be the best choice. 
She spoke to me so kindly and showed me love. I was desperate for any sign that I was lovable at this point, so I agreed right then and, and there to have an abortion. I went to see the doctor who had performed the abortion. He had the nerve to tell me only a fool makes the same mistake twice. He seemed so wise. I wonder how many mistakes he performed over his lifetime. The night before the procedure, I asked the baby to forgive me. I held my tummy and I cried. The day arrived, my dad accompanied me to the hospital. Yes, the hospital, not the local abortion clinic. The doctor thought it would be better being at the hospital where I could be put totally out, drugged to unawareness. He even had my name changed so there would be no record that I had an abortion. I had a fairly prominent family, and there would be no record of of my abortion. That afternoon, I didn't have an abortion. Sandy Charles did. Sandy Charles gave up hope that day. Sandy Charles let them stick a needle in her arm and drug in her veins and murdered into her private domain. Sandy Charles offered her baby up for slaughter. I slept for two days. When I woke up, I was at my grandmother's. No one would... No one who would speak to me before was now serving me toast with a smile. Nothing was ever spoken about my abortion. It was like it never happened. My senior year of college, tears pouring down my face. I fell my, my knees, fell to my knees sobbing, crying to the Lord, What's wrong with me? I'm at the bottom and I can't go any lower. Please help me. Darkness crept over my spirit and I was worn down. My eyes were going dim and my bones could barely hold up my flesh. I was in a pit of despair. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalms 40 verse 1. I wanted to be a counselor. I needed some experience for my resume. I knew of a little place about two blocks from my apartment that would give me an internship. And as I read over their applications, one of the questions struck me. What do you know about abortion? I thought to myself, nothing. Hmm. I better get a book. Yes, I decided that I found a book called Forbidden Grief, The Unspokable Pain of Abortion. I set out to read it so I'd be able to write an answer for the application question. I went to a little coffee shop. I sat in a cushy chair with my notebook and pen, and I was about ready to take notes. That day, however, ink didn't fill the paper tears did. I came face to face with my hidden pain. He drew me up from the pit of despair out of the miry bog, Psalms 40, verse 2. I went back to that little place two blocks from my apartment. It just happened to be a crisis pregnancy clinic. It was also happened to be the place that a wonderful, kind, gentle, loving woman who counseled post-abortive women, I told her, I think the Lord wants me to deal with my abortion. She took me under her wing, and we went through a Bible study. She gave me a safe place to unabashedly experience all my emotions, denial, anger, depression. Yes, I was a perfect example of the stages of grief. I was able to admit my sin and mourn my loss, accept forgiveness and grace, and I was finally able to feel like my feet were beginning to be planted on something, someone real. And I set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Psalms 42. I can hug women. <laughs> yeah, it sounds funny, but one, one way is that I, I was healed. Part of my pain included mistrust of women. And one tried to hug me, even a friend. I got stiff. I walled up. Now if you ever meet me, please give me a great big hug and I will melt. I'm also able to watch pro-life commercials and not leave the room. I can smile and see children instead of tearing up. 
I am fully embraced my sin of abortion because Jesus Christ took that punishment for me on the cross. I am free. And you know what else? I can tell my story. I am covered in grace and protection. I am loved and forgiven. The shame I once carried lies at the foot of the cross. Satan has no power over me. God is the only one who has the authority to tell me who I am, and I am his. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Psalms 40, verse 3. One more verse. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalms 147, verse 3. See, the truth is, Jesus Christ wants to forgive us all from all of our sins. He wants to forgive somebody from the sin of abortion. Because the truth is, we're all sinners. Every single one of us. And Jesus wants to forgive us all. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, This is a trustworthy saying, a full, deserving a full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. He came to die for what we have done. No matter how dark or how decrepit or how private that sin is, Jesus came to die for what we have done to save us from our sin. Now, I said there'd be four mothers this morning, so we have one more to discuss. So here's our fourth lesson this morning. Lesson number four women that know the pain of losing a child are still mothers. You know, if you're a pastor long enough, eventually someone will come and they'll ask the question. And here's the question. What happens to babies when they die? Babies that either die in the womb or babies that die early in life, what happens to them? And I believe the scripture is crystal clear. It can't be mistaken. That when a baby dies, they go straight to heaven. They go straight to the arms of Jesus. They draw the card that says advance token to boardwalk. That's what happens to babies. Straight to the arms of Christ, that's where they go. And any pastor that says anything other than that, that contradicts that, they're not worth the time of day to even listen to. I want to share with you two bits of scripture that makes it so crystal clear what happens to babies when they die. In the story of Exodus, God used a man named Moses to lead the people out of slavery. And we know, if we know the story, there's the party in the Red Sea, there's water that comes from a rock, and eventually, after 40 years wandering around that wilderness... God brought his people to the promised land and told, hey, go send some spies, check out the land. And they sent 12 spies, and two of which were Joshua and Caleb, and the spies came back, and 10 of the spies whined and cried, oh, there's giants in the land, and we're but grasshoppers, boo-hoo-hoo. Then Joshua and Caleb said, compared to who? We've got God on our side. You're worried about some tiny old giants? But the 10 wimps, they turned the people's heart from, from, from God. And, and God said, eventually, you know, you're not going to the promised land. Well, the people's slavery in Egypt, that represents people's slave to sin. And the promised land, that very clearly represents heaven. Well, God said the people that refuse to go in land, they're not, they're going to die in the wilderness. Everyone but Joshua and Caleb. And then God said this. This is God speaking. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 39. Verse 1, 39, excuse me. God says, and for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and our children, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they will go there. And to them I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. That's what God says on this subject. So when a baby dies, they go to heaven. Period. 
one more scripture to make this crystal clear. I think most of us know the story of David and Bathsheba. We talked about Bathsheba earlier, how she's not perfect. Well, if you don't know her story, David had an affair with her, ended up getting her pregnant, and then David murdered her husband to cover up what had happened. But eventually, the prophet Nathan calls him out. Calls him out and says, you're the man, David. Even though David, he ends up repenting, there's still consequences for his sin. And the baby that was conceived through infidelity, the baby ends up getting sick. And it was so, that baby's so sick, it was certain the baby's going to die. And King David, he fasted and he mourned and he prayed and he, and just for, while that child was alive. And then came the day that baby did eventually die. Then it was the job of the servants, hey, go tell the king that his son just died. And the one servant goes and says, hey, you've got to tell the king that his child died. And the next thing says, I'm not telling him. You tell him. I'm not telling him. You tell him. And they're having this debate and King David sees what's going on. The Bible says he gets up, and he goes and bathes, and the first thing he does, he goes to the house of God, and he worships God. And then he comes back, and he orders food to, uh, to be ordered, or to be brought to him, and, and so the, the servants go to him and say, hey, hey king, you know, when the Bible, excuse me, when the baby was, was alive, you fasted and mourned, but now that you know the child is gone, you, you're worshiping, and you seem okay, what's going on? And King David says this, it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. He said, while the child is still alive, I fasted and wept for, I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. You see, David said, I can rejoice because God, that, that, that God has that, for that child. That my child has missed out on all the pain of this world and has gone straight to be with the Father. That is true for King David and that is true for every single mother and father that knows the pain of losing a child. Your child is with God. You know, there's these videos, I see them on social media all the time and every time I see them, I cry like a baby. I, I, do, I mean, I can't take it. I'm, I'm a mess every time I see these because I think it's a perfect picture of what heaven's going to look like. Would you mind rolling one of these videos for us?
I think that's what heaven's going to look like? That there's Christians, believers here, we're still fighting this fight on this earth, telling people about a great God that came and died for us, there's spiritual battles we're going through, but when we go home, babies that went before us, they're waiting for us. They want us to come to know Jesus. So there can be this family reunion to be back in their arms. And so that if you know Christ, these children that you've never maybe met in the flesh, they're not little children anymore. They're grown adults and they want you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then you're going to be blessed with the blessing of holding your child in heaven with no pain and no sorrow, no suffering. That is, if you belong to Christ. If you haven't come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would tell you, do that now. The blessings that are to come are so amazing, far beyond anything this world has to offer. But you have to recognize that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And because of that, we're separated from God. But if you will call on Jesus Christ, He will forgive you in an instant. And you'll be forever His. And for most people, it happens through a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. Peter said a prayer while he was sinking in water. He said, Jesus, save me. And he saved. For some of us, that's it. But if you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, to give your life to Him, I'd ask you to do that now. Say something along the lines of, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And yet you came and you died for the sinful, wretched things that I've done. Save me. I'm going to place my faith in you and what you have done. Rescue me, Lord. I give you my life. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen.